Well, good morning, church family. It is great to be with you this morning. My name is TJ Clawson. I am the youth director here. And if there's anything I've learned from my dad so far of being here is how to make an entrance onto this stage that's hopefully memorable and maybe helps the main point of the message. And so I'm trying to live up to the legacy as I get to talk about the armor of God this morning. And so I thought I'd, yes, bust out the old armor of God costume that I grew up wearing. I know it does not fit me nearly as well as it did at my six-year-old birthday party, right, when I was just rocking this all the time. It was, I literally lived in this thing and This armor of God was less about spiritual defense and more about protecting myself from my brother's sword fights that we used to have. Um, And so lots of great memories. I'm hoping that this silver and red is bringing back some nostalgia for some of you. Um, But growing up, I have always been fascinated with armor and medieval warfare. And I don't know why, because if you look at me, I'm a very scrawny, gangly guy. So there's not any idea that I would have been this amazing warrior in ancient times. Um, I like, I know that if I would not stand a chance on an ancient battlefield, if I was a Spartan, they would have looked at me and said, we'll fight with 299. I think we can do it, okay? (laughs) Thanks for those of you that got that joke. But the reality is I never want to actually be on an ancient battlefield, but I do love learning about armor and learning about their tactics and learning about what it means to lead an army. And so when I found out that I got to teach on the part of Ephesians that contained the armor of God, I was pumped. I was like, yes, this is awesome. And so I promise you, if you are not as into medieval armor as I am, okay, I'm not gonna nerd out too much this morning, all right? It is actually a very simple thing, which is God's armor, and it's something for all of us. And so stay with me, I won't lose you, but I am excited to get a little deeper into what Paul calls the armor of God. And so we're gonna jump right in. If you've got your Bibles, we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter six. If you got your phones, you can log on to lexcity.info and just, you'll find our sermon notes there, all the scriptures that we're gonna be going through together. And as we get into chapter six, this is the final chapter in the book or the letter that Paul has been writing to the church that is forming in Ephesus. And so if you've missed any of the previous weeks, don't worry, you're still gonna be able to understand the armor of God. But I'd encourage you, go back later this week and either listen to or read the passages leading up to Ephesians 6. Because this is not Paul realizing he's like running out of room on his scroll and running out of time and being like, oh, let me quickly uh, tell you a little bit about spiritual warfare and love you guys, bye. Okay, that's not what he's doing here. The armor of God is really a visual example, kind of an analogy of everything that Paul has been talking about in the previous five chapters. And so if you understand the letter of Ephesians better, you will understand the armor of God better. And so we're gonna jump right in, in Ephesians chapter six, starting in verse 10. All right, it says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then 14 is where we really get into it. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So here's where I kind of want to go with our discussion this morning. All right, I so was wanting to just spend time and really just getting into spiritual warfare and the reality that there are these evil forces at work and talk about where they came from and how they work and how ultimately we've been promised victory over them already through Christ and how we can live within that. But I was really feeling led this week that it wasn't beneficial to talk about the battle if we weren't readied and prepared to actually go fight in it. It would have been kind of like taking you scuba diving and taking you out on the boat to the deep part of the water where all the cool stuff is happening, where we all wanted to be to go scuba diving, but I never took the time to tell you how to actually put on your scuba gear, right? It's all there. It's on the boat. It's in a pile. I can list off what it is, but if I don't take the time to actually explain to you how to put it on and how to use it correctly, it's not going to keep you alive, And so this morning, this is what I really feel like I want to focus on, is I want to make sure we know how to put on the armor of God. Because we are in a spiritual battle, and if we aren't wearing the armor, we don't stand a chance in this fight. See, there is a real battle happening. There is a battle for your souls. There is a battle for your children. There is a battle for our culture. There's a battle for our church. And so many times we go into life without wearing all the armor, right? We go into the battlefield unprepared, and then when we get hit with an attack, we're like, where did that come from? The reality is, I think sometimes we are missing pieces of the armor, and we're experiencing the consequences of that reality. See, what was the purpose of the armor of God? Paul writes this again in Ephesians 6.13. He says, take up the whole armor of God, and may that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. See, that's the goal of this armor, that you will be able to stand firm through your whole life, through the attacks that the enemy throws your way. It doesn't mean you get to avoid the battle, right? We have to fight in the battle. We should expect the battle. We shouldn't be surprised when attacks come our way. But God's promise is that you can stand firm that you can learn how to take any shot the enemy throws at you and it just bounces off of you because you have God's armor to protect you. Because the reality is we live in an evil world, okay? We experience attacks from both sinful humanity and legit spiritual evil forces that are at work. And so we need to make sure that we are entering the world every day ready to stand firm in these battles. And so how do we put on the armor of God? What is it and what is it really protecting us from? Well, Paul starts with a belt, kind of. We'll see what we mean, okay? In verse 14 again, he says, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth. Now, the original wording in this is, it says, having girded your loins with truth. And girded your loins is one of those Bible phrases I just love. Like, it's just such an awesome phrase, girding your loins with truth. And so what I want to do is help you understand how do you gird your loins, all right? What does it mean to gird your loins? So here's a quick little picture to kind of walk you through this, okay? Because in this time, men are still wearing tunics and robes, and so that's not great for mobility. So when you needed to do something active, you would gird your loins, which is a process of turning your like man dress into a man diaper, okay? So that you could get stuff done. And so, and I just, I love this picture. It reminds me of like those Duluth Trading Company commercials, you know, it's like Duluth Trading Co, gird your loins like a man. And so I just love that phrase, like gird your loins is just a manly phrase. I'm like, 
don't translate it. Just keep that in the Bible. It's just, it makes me like pumped up, ready to go. It's like go time. And so the reality is though, the girded loins of truth were kind of hard to sell in our set. And so we've translated it the belt of truth. But the reality is, is it's accomplishing the same goal, all right? And so this is really what the belt of truth, what girding your loins with truth is supposed to do for us. All right, here's it said, and I think kind of the simplest explanation. If you don't wear truth, you're going to get tripped up. Okay, if you don't wear truth, you're gonna get tripped up. And you can put all the rest of the pieces of the armor on correctly, but if you didn't gird your loins, you will trip before you even make it into the battle to get to use the rest of your armor. And what is the truth? It's God's word to us. See, if we really believe that God is the creator, the source of everything, then there can't be anything else that is truth besides his words to us. And so the devil, since the beginning of time, he has two things that he wants to make you do. He either wants you to doubt God's word or neglect God's word. And either one of those accomplishes his goal. That was his strategy against Adam and Eve at the beginning. That was his strategy against Jesus himself. That's his strategy against every one of you and myself. Like since the beginning of time, he hasn't come up with a new strategy. His goal is just to get you to doubt God's truth. To say, is that really what God said? Is that really what that verse means? You know, that verse was just culturally context. That means nothing for you today. You know, there's science that actually disproves some of those numbers or your understanding of the Bible. Or, you know, the, the Bible says that God is loving, but this part of the Bible does not sound very loving. Are you sure that you can trust this truth? See, his goal is to create doubt. Because if you don't believe that this is the absolute truth, that this is the standard for your life, you get tripped up before you even get into the battle, before you even have to worry about any of the other pieces of the armor. Or maybe if he can't get you to straight up doubt that this is God's word, I think for a lot of us, he's been successful at getting us to neglect it, right? Like we open our Bibles on Sunday mornings and we get to study it, but then the rest of the week it sits on our nightstand just collecting dust. And I will admit, one thing I am terrible at is dusting, okay? It's the chore that ever since I was a kid, I don't know why, I just never wanted to dust. And then I'm also really guilty of putting things somewhere and then forgetting about it and it sits there unnoticed for a long time. And so my office is full of papers or books or things that I have put somewhere that I forgot were there and they're just slowly collecting dust until one day I finally notice it and I'm like, oh, let me put that where it belongs. And I pick it up and there is a clean part underneath it with a beautiful dust outline of exactly what it was. Here's what I am proud though of myself is that my Bible is something that never gets dusty. My Bible and my phone are the two things that I am using every single day. I am picking them up. I am moving them enough that they don't have time to accumulate dust. So my question for you is how dusty is your Bible? And maybe you're like, oh, well, TJ, you're so old school. Okay, yeah, my Bible's dusty, but that's because I use the app or I use electronics for my Bible. Great, pull up your screen time like right now. All right, open it up. Tell me how much screen time then do you have on your Bible app? You can use it, it is just as good, but my guess is your screen time would say that your Bible app is also dusty. See, do you really view that this is God's word to you? Do you view that this is your absolute truth? That when there's a conflict between what you feel and what the Bible says, which one takes precedent in your life? I'll remind you, one is affected by sin, the other is not. 
When you have friends' opinions that are different than what the Bible says to do, which one takes precedent in your life? Remind you, one doesn't know what's happening tomorrow. The other has a plan for your eternity. See, we oftentimes don't doubt this, but if we're honest, we have neglected it. And this is what it means to wear a belt of truth. That when you face attacks on what the Bible says or what is true or, or what is the source of your truth, that you will gird your loins with knowing that this is truth. This is what I live by. Because if we don't have truth, we get tripped up before we even make it to the battle. Then we move on to piece number two, all right? It says, take on, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, breastplates are one of the most important parts any person would ever have in a battle, okay? Now I know, in all the movies, all the cool guys are not wearing any armor, right? They just go with their chiseled bodies and a sword and they win every time. But the reality is no one's fighting like that, all right? Like all of our great examples, okay? Spartans had more than capes and underwear. Mel Gibson had more than a kilt and Vikings wore more than just tattoos to protect themselves, okay? But they do look really cool and intimidating. But the reality is no one would go into battle without a breastplate. It was not a smart thing to do. No one goes in to a fight with all their vital organs unprotected. And so Paul says, have a breastplate of righteousness. Because what is righteousness protecting? It protects our hearts. See, ultimately, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, he, we get his righteousness put on us. His righteousness protects us from the attacks of the enemy. It seals us for eternity with God. There is nothing that the enemy can do to attack your soul if you have Christ's righteousness on you. He can't affect where you are going to eternity. That is the promise we get for having Christ's righteousness. But our righteousness, or our rightly living, also protects our lives. See, one of my favorite breastplates in history is from the Mycenaeans, okay? Look at this breastplate. I call this turtleneck armor, all right? Because look at this thing. Like, where are you possibly going to attack this guy? He's just fully protected from all angles. It's awesome. And so my question to you is, do you have righteousness in your life that is protecting yourself this much? In the sense of someone would look at the way that you live and they would think, where could I even attack this person? There is no weakness in the way that they treat people, the way that they talk, the way that they live, from what they say and what they do. They are righteous. See, when we live with righteousness, it protects our reputation. It protects invited temptations into our lives. It protects us against the consequences from having our own sins. It protects our reputation as Christians. See, I try and tell this to students all the time and help them realize following the right way, following God's way is supposed to make your life easier. All right, not without struggles, not that you are still not gonna have things that attack you, but where can the enemy in sin attack you if you're living righteously? Right, if you don't lie, you don't have the hardships of living in fear of someone finding out about your lies. Living righteously protects your life from that strike. If you don't gossip, you don't live with the hardship of the people not trusting you and people not liking you. If you live righteously, you protect your life from experiencing that strike. If you don't live sexually impure, you don't have the hardships of the effects that that could have on your marriage or your dating life or your identity, right? Living righteously protects you from even having to experience that strike. 
Jesus' righteousness ultimately is what seals us for eternity with God. But our righteousness, our daily living the right way, protects our hearts and protects who we are. See, if we live righteous, we get to have turtleneck armor protection, right? Because it is hard to attack somebody who truly is living righteously daily. Someone who is truly living righteously and doing it daily, it is hard to attack that person because there's no opening that they have been given. But so many of us, I think, we live unrighteously in our lives. And then when consequences happen from the sin that we've done, we go, where did that come from? Why did that happen to me? There's no reason that that should have been able to hit me. And to keep it the metaphor, I think oftentimes we stab ourselves or we at least open the door for sin in our life because we're living unrighteously. And so protect your life, protect your family, protect your reputation by living righteously. Then we move on to uh, Ephesians 6.15. He says, and as shoes to of your feet, having put on the readiness of the gospel of peace. Now, let me be honest with you. As a kid, I seldom took time to put on my shin guards of peace. Okay, no one was ever attacking my shins. They were really uncomfortable. There are a lot of work to put on. And so for me, the armor of God was typically like the waist up. That was all the cool stuff. The shins kind of always just stayed in the box. And I think if we're honest, we still kind of view the armor of God that way today. We focus so much on the things that are deflecting the attacks, the weapons, the things that are for, that we are like glamorously, the cool parts of the armor of God, that we forget that there are shoes included in the armor of God. But really, the shoes of peace are actually an important part to fighting against the enemy. That it is important for us to bring the gospel of peace wherever we go. And so my question I want you to ponder is when you walk into a room, do you bring peace? See, as followers of Jesus, we are supposed to bring peace to every place that we walk. Sin and the enemy are constantly sowing hate and disunity all over. How do we combat that? We bring peace everywhere that we go. Right? You have a gospel which is telling people how to have peace with God. And then our love for people and just our presence alone is supposed to bring peace within our human relationships as well. There's a great story of Abib Bakula, who was the first modern and really only modern Olympian to win the Olympic marathon barefoot. Okay, he was a last minute uh, replacement for the Ethiopian Olympic team. And so he didn't have time to get fitted for his Adidas shoes that would fit him. And so he just decided to run the marathon barefoot instead and won the entire thing. Here's the thing. It didn't matter to him if he had shoes or didn't have shoes. He had been running, training, growing up running barefoot his whole life. So it didn't make a difference to him to have shoes or not have shoes. I think many of us have become the same way with the shoes of peace. We have gone so long without choosing to put them on, it is actually now more work and it is uncomfortable and it is harder to have peace in our lives than it is to just go without them. We've gone so long without telling people about the gospel, just the thought of doing it now is uncomfortable and scary and something that we don't even wanna try and do. The world is so negative and so hostile, it is just so much easier to just join in on the complaining and not try and bring peace to the situations that we're in. See, I think many of us have gone through life barefoot because it is work 
to put on the shoes of peace, to really focus on making sure that you bring peace into every situation you walk in, right? Think about your work break room, all right? When you walk into that break room, do you bring peace or do you walk in barefoot? On Facebook, uh uh-oh, here we go. Do you comment, do you post to bring peace or do you just do it barefoot? Join in with what everyone else is doing. On your sports team, in your PTA meeting, in your life group, at the grocery store, in your politics, do you bring peace into every situation you walk in or do you walk in barefoot? See, do you want to protect yourself from the attacks of the enemy? Jesus says, bring peace everywhere you walk. Then Paul continues, he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And that's just such a great passage in the Bible, right? Extinguishing the flaming darts of the evil one. And here's what I love. Paul is writing about this shield and he's writing in the context of the Roman army being the main power at this time. And the Romans had a very famous and iconic shield, especially when it came to arrows. And their shield was called the scutum, all right? Now look at this shield. This is amazing. You literally, it covers like your whole body. Like if you are a coward or a skinny guy like me on the battlefield, you just hide behind the shield. Nothing's ever going to get to you. And then they would march in this formation called the testudo, which means the tortoise, which you can see is pretty adequately named, as they marched up to the battle, especially if they were attacking like some city. And the goal was you would be completely protected from arrows on your way to the fight so you wouldn't get picked off before you even get there. And so Paul's using this image because there's no safer shield to fighting arrows than the Roman scutum. And so what is our shield that we have? It is our faith. See, it's our faith that God is who he says he is. Faith that he is always in control and has a plan. Faith that God cares about each and every one of us individually and wants the best for us. Faith that he is ultimately good and trustworthy. See, I could imagine there would be no more terrifying feeling than being on a battlefield, getting shot at with arrows and not having a shield, right? Imagine the fear and panic if you were out there with arrows whizzing by your face and you have no type of protection from them. I can't imagine trying to fight the lies of the enemy without having faith, without a type of faith that says, I don't care what you throw at me. I trust that my God is who he says that he is. So you can throw anything you want at me, Satan. You can throw anything you want at me, the world, because nothing is gonna shake the faith that I have in who God is. I have faith that God is who he says he is, that he's as powerful as he says he is, that he loves me as much as he says that he does. And so I hide behind my faith when I am attacked. See, faith isn't just blindly hoping that the Bible is true. All right, faith is confidence in knowing you have experienced a personal relationship with God, and so you now have full faith and trust in the God that you know, the God that you have seen in your life. In Roman legend, Marcus Scavia is credited as a Roman centurion who single-handedly helped the Roman army win the battle of Dyrrhachium. And he returned, the legend says, he returned from the battlefield with 250 arrows still stuck in his shield. Do you have the type of faith that you can hide behind who you know God to be that you can fight? Nothing will ever get through your shield of faith, right? You can say the devil can shoot 250 arrows at me and I know God can stop 
all 250 of them. Right? I have a faith in God that I know he is so big and so strong and so true to who he says he is, the devil can shoot 250 million arrows at me and they're never getting through my faith. See, when arrows of doubt or pain or confusion or lies come from the enemy about who you are or who God is, don't try and dodge them yourself. Don't try and catch them yourself. Don't even try and manage them yourself. Let them hit your shield of faith and stop right there. Like have a shield of faith that when you can get to heaven one day, you can look and say, look at all the times that Satan tried to shoot arrows my way. They tried to get me to misstep in my relationship with God, tried to get me doubt who God was or who I am. And every single one of them just got stuck in this shield. And then you can put that shield on your heavenly mantle, so to speak, right? And just be able to say, look at all the times the devil tried to get at me but nothing ever got past my faith. I was always confident in who I knew God to be. And because of that, he protected me from everything, right? Let evil waste its arrows on you because nothing is getting through your faith of who you know God to be. Then we get to the final two pieces. All right, he says in 617, take the helmet of salvation. Okay, the enemy wants to attack our minds. Right? He wants to tell us lies that we would believe. He wants to get you to believe the lies of you are not loved. Fight that lie with the truth that you know from salvation, that God loved you so much that he came and died for you. Right? One of my favorite lines and one of the verses that we sing often here on Sundays is from the song, What a Beautiful Name. And it's the line that says, you didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. Right? Never believe the lie that you are not loved by God. The devil wants you to believe lies like you are not good enough. You have messed up too much in order for God to forgive you. Fight that with the truth that you know of salvation, right? The truth that you know that Jesus died for all of our sins. There is nothing too bad that you did that Jesus wasn't powerful enough to defeat and cover. The devil wants you to believe lies like you don't deserve to be happy, Fight it with the truth that you know from your salvation that Jesus says, I came so that you could have life and you could have life to the fullest. See, the helmet of salvation protects our minds from the attacks of the enemy. So filter your thoughts through the truth of salvation and the confidence that you can have through it. And then it's time to fight back in attack, right? In 617, it says, the sword, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And this is my sword. It's a little lame, but it matches the set. So it's just what it is, right? But God gives us, our heavenly father gives us so much better and bigger and more powerful of a sword to fight the enemy with. And Paul says, the sword is the word of God, right? Think about how does Jesus himself even fight back against Satan and model this for us? In John chapter four, We know when Jesus was out in the wilderness fasting, the devil shows up and tries to tempt him into sinning. And the devil says to him, if you were the son of God, then tell this stone to become bread, right? Just make some food for yourself. Solve this now, stop being hungry. What does Jesus do? He literally stabs at him with the sword and says, actually it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Deuteronomy 8, 3. I'm doing more out here, Satan, than just making myself hungry. There's a plan. There's something I'm getting from being out here. The devil says, okay, well, just worship me and I will hand over all my authority and then you can get rid of evil. Jesus stabs at him again. He says, actually, it's written, 
you aren't to worship, or you should worship the Lord your God and serve him only, Deuteronomy 6, 13. It's like, you're not even worthy to be worshiped. God is the only one I'm gonna worship and serve. Now, how many of us are memorizing, quoting Deuteronomy in our daily lives, right? The reality is, when you speak, does it have to have, does it have to have, you know, when you speak, does it have to have citations along with it all the time? No, but the question is, do you speak the word of truth against the lies that you see? Do you use God's word to fight back against the lies that you see in our culture, in our world? Because God's word does not just offend us, okay? It is also an attack on the enemy. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, the sword can be used to teach, to rebuke, to correct, and to train. God's word does not just defend, it attacks the false teachings of the world. And so swing it at people, right? With love, do it with love, but don't be afraid to use what God's word says offensively. It has the power to help people see through the lies that they have been believing. So don't be afraid to swing the sword in situations. So six pieces of armor that God gives us to fight against sin and the enemy. But here's the thing about armor. It only helps you when you choose to put it on. It does you no good sitting at home while you are out on the battlefield. God says, here are the things that I have given you to protect you, to help you stand firm against every attack that would possibly come your way, but you gotta choose to put it on. And you have to choose to put all of the armor on. Right, Not just the parts that you like, not just the parts that are easy to have in your life, because the reality is a smart enemy attacks you where you're weak. Sin will always find its way in on the areas where you are not protected. And so how well are you doing at putting on the full armor each day? Which pieces have you been neglecting and have become weak points that have kept you from standing firm in these evil days? Is it the shoes of peace Do you need to work on having peace be something that you bring everywhere you go? Is it the belt of truth? Do you need to understand what God's truth is and learn how to make it the absolute standard for your life? Is it the breastplate of righteousness? Do you need to work on living righteously to protect yourself from your own consequences that come from your decisions that people would look at you and say, I can't even attack him because he lives righteously? Is it the shield of faith? Do you need to work on deepening your faith in who God is, understanding his love for you? Is it the sword of the spirit? Do you need to gain confidence of that the sword is able to be used to teach and rebuke and to train in all situations? Or is it the helmet of salvation? Do you need to understand the truth and the confidence that comes from your salvation and what it means for your life? Or maybe you're here today and you don't even know what it means to have salvation. I'd encourage you before you leave today, just come up front at the end of service. We have people that are up here that love to just talk to you about who Jesus is and help you understand what this salvation is that we have that you can have confidence in. Because God has given us these protections and they all come from his strength. This is the beauty of the armor of God is that the armor of God is about our dependence, not our competence. It's not about how well you know what the armor is, It's about how well are you doing at putting it on every day? 
depending on God to be the thing that defends you in those areas. You are not strong enough to fight the attacks of the spiritual enemy on yourself. We're not even strong enough to fight our own sinful desires on ourselves. We need to rest in God's armor and depend on his armor to find the victory that we need. I know for myself, I can feel more tangible, more real attacks and temptations on days where I didn't spend time preparing myself and putting on the armor. Days where I did not take time to pray for peace, to ground myself in truth, to reflect on my salvation, to grow in my faith before I even went out into the world. See, do you want a life that stands firm in these evil days? A life that's protected from unnecessary consequences of your own sin, a life that is full of wisdom and purity, then put on the full armor of God and consciously do it every day. See, as we close with just singing together, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to take an honest assessment of which of these pieces have you been neglecting? Because if you don't have a shield of faith, it doesn't matter how much truth you know. If you don't have shoes of peace, it doesn't matter how confident you are in your salvation. If you don't have a breastplate of righteousness, it doesn't matter how much scripture you can swing at people. Where we are neglecting the armor is where we will be attacked, is where we are weak and not relying on God, where we are missing pieces of the armor is ultimately where we are susceptible. Let me pray for us. God, we just thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you that you give us armor to fight in this battle. God, we confess we are guilty oftentimes of just not putting it on, of neglecting it, of knowing what it should be, but not letting it actually penetrate our lives and rely on it daily. So God, I pray for each of us that we would just focus this week, maybe be honest right here in this moment of areas where we have neglected a piece of your armor and it has had consequences in our life or it has opened us up to attacks. And God, I pray that we would leave today with the confidence of knowing the importance of the full armor and our decision to put it on each morning. God, we love you, we praise you, we pray all these things in your name, amen.